0: Welcome to the Faith Dialogue podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Bear. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome again to our ministry. I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors that Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. Today we're going to be back in the book of Acts. Last week we started a new sermon series called Unstoppable. And that's what we think of when we look at the birth of the church in the book of Acts. Unstoppable is that, that word that comes to mind. You know, the obstacles that the early church faced were significant. But this group of believers were truly unstoppable. Today we'll continue our reading in the book of Acts chapter 1 and I would encourage you that if you have it, uh, grab your Bible and grab something to, to write on as we're going to be going through some passages and there's going to be things that you're going to want to remember. There are many things that, that we teach that will help you build your faith and give you instructions in becoming a truly devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Today we have... Two pieces of subject matter in the second half of the first chapter of Acts. The first is the story of the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, and the second is the Apostles gathering together and trying to decide uh, who to replace Judas with, in fact if uh, Judas actually should be replaced. So we'll break up our reading today in these two sections as well. First, the ascension of Jesus. Acts 1 beginning in verse 9 and now this is immediately after Jesus had told the Apostles to not leave Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit after he had said this he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight while he was going they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them they said men of Galilee Why do you stand up looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This historic event is called the Ascension. And Luke actually records this event in in two different places. First in the gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Luke. And then here in the Acts of the Apostles. I, I want to go back and read to you what Luke has to say about this event. The same event back in his gospel in Luke chapter 24 beginning in verse 50. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. These verses in the gospel account give us a little bit more clarity on this event. And we can learn as well how to study the Bible and perhaps gain some insight. Let me share with you two keys in understanding the Scriptures. This is something I learned a long time ago. Interestingly, both of these keys come from the same exact verse. 1st Corinthians chapter 2 verse 13. It says, These things we also speak, not in words that man's wisdom teaches, but that the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. In 1st Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking about the spiritual wisdom that we gain from God. And he tells us that this role is the role of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 13, he gives us these two principles. Principle number one, the primary principle, is that the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches. Principle number two, however, is important. It says the Holy Spirit teaches by comparing spiritual things to spiritual things. Uh, the 24th chapter of Luke records the ascension of Jesus Christ. I just read that for you. And the first chapter of Acts also has the same event. These are called companion verses. They're actually extremely important in understanding spiritual truth. Uh, they're easy to find usually in your Bible because there's a, a footnote or an asterisk near one of the verses in the study Bible that will reference the companion verse. So what do we learn from these this companion verse? Well, as we read from the book of Acts, we see this verse. While he was going, they, st- they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? So if we only had this one verse, it sounds like the Apostles are a little confused. But either these words from the two men in white, obviously angels, brought them back into reality. or Perhaps the Apostles were just, you know, taking in the sight. Uh, we learn from the Gospel account that Jesus was, has blessed them, was taken up into heaven and they worshiped and returned with great joy. You know, it had, been, it had been three long years that Jesus had spent with his Apostles. All too often we read that they were hard of hearing. They were almost thick-skulled as Jesus had to continually remind them what his mission was why he had come, that he was going to die, and that he was going to go somewhere then that they could not go. There could also, these apostles could also be judgmental, self-centered, argumentative, even calling down fire from heaven. But by now they get it. Remember Jesus had just spent 40 days with the apostles after he had been resurrected from the dead. Uh, He had already told them, that he was going to die, and there he was in the flesh. And he was able to teach him with great clarity. The Bible says that he taught them about the kingdom of God. So finally, they got it. Now, as we turn to these verses, these first verses from our teaching today, there are three questions I'd like you to have in your mind, because we're going to be answering these questions as we go forward. First question is, where did Jesus go? And the second question is like it why did he go and the third question when is he coming back we'll answer these questions in the same order the first question where did he go well we just said that obviously the apostles had had figured it out in the gospel of luke it says that jesus had blessed them and then he ascended and they worshiped him he he blessed them because unlike any other person in history he was able to bless with the power of god Remember that when Jesus said that God was his father, the religious leaders wanted to to stone him. However, over the three years that he had spent with the Apostles, they had witnessed the miracles of Jesus, from the miracle of turning water into wine uh, at the wedding of Cana to the raising of Lazarus. Jesus clearly showed the Apostles exactly who he was. Now they understood that he was truly the Messiah and also understood that he was God. That's why they worshiped him. Angels don't permit worship. In the book of Revelation, for example, the, God, the apostle John was so overcome by the things that he was seeing, that the angel was showing that he fell down at the feet of the angel and began to, to worship the angel. But the angel said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant, just like you. Worship God. So the apostles knew and understood now as well that Jesus was the Son of God, but more importantly, He was part of what we call now the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Something that was a mystery in the Old Testament, even though it was hinted at a number of times, including very early in the book of Genesis, when God said, Let us create man in our image. Two words meant for the plurality of God. So Jesus is God, and the short answer to the question of where did Jesus go is, well, he he went to heaven. That's where God is, and Jesus went to be in heaven. You know, we often think of heaven as being up, and that isn't correct. It's just not, it's not complete. Uh, Jesus went to a place where the natural man cannot go. If you were with us when we presented Heaven's Best, a three-week series about heaven, the first week we said that, Heaven was a, a real place. However, when the Bible talks about Heaven, it includes those things that we can see, like the sky, the planets, the universe, and sometimes it also refers to the things that we can't see, to the place where God is, a a place where it requires transformation in order to, to see clearly. The Apostle Paul refers to this as the third Heaven and paradise to differentiate it from the blue sky in the universe we see around us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 4 Paul talks about how he was he was caught up to heaven and was unable to describe it. You know the word caught up is the same word that's used in 1st Thessalonians 4 17 in describing this this transformation of our earthly bodies when when Jesus returns. It says that we're going to be caught up to be with the Lord the scripture teaches that our bodies have to, be, have to be changed. We have to be resurrected just like Jesus was resurrected and somehow with these new bodies we then have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to be where Jesus is. When Jesus ascended he was returning home, returning to his father. The Apostle Peter confirms this as well, it says, he says, Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. You know, Jesus was, was born as a baby, but he had always existed. He was at the very beginning, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John opens with these very words. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the, he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, Not one thing was created that has been created. So we see Jesus returning to heaven where he was in the beginning as part of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus, the Word of God, that was actually the Creator God. So question number two, why did he go? In answering the first question of where, we all likely already touched on some of the things we could include in this, why did he go? Uh, we said that in ascending Jesus was returning home, remembering that Jesus was unlike us, he had a divine mission to accomplish. Jesus had a mission, his mission was to come to the earth, to reveal himself, to fulfill the prophecy regarding the Messiah, ultimately to pay the penalty for sin, to die on the cross and conquer death. So, so why did he go? Well. Number one, we would say that his mission was accomplished. Jesus had humbled himself for approximately 33 years. He was in the beginning. He was before time and space and all the planets and this very earth. And he had humbled himself. And while he had humbled himself, it was now time to be exalted, to be glorified. In Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible says, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels namely jesus because of the suffering and death crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of god he might taste, death, taste taste death for everyone did you catch that it says for a little while you see when you're on a mission ultimately the mission ends and you return home remember jesus words to his disciples in the 16th chapter of john he said it is to your advantage that i go away for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. The reason, the why did Jesus go is that it was important that the one Jesus would leave, so that the Holy Spirit, the Helper, would soon descend and fill every believer. Initially the thousands, but then the millions and now billions of people that call Jesus Christ Lord. You know, have you ever watched Undercover Boss? It's a CBS TV series that follows high-level executives, typically the COO or CEO of corporations. And what they do is they, they humble themselves. They, they often have to disguise themselves with fake hair, glasses, and beards. It, it's really kind of ridiculous when you see some of these guys. And, and then we see them slip anonymously into the rank and file, the, the lowly ranks of their own organization. Each week a different boss humbles themselves sacrifices the comfort of the corner office and goes on an undercover mission some of these shows are actually pretty entertaining some are illuminating as the boss finds out what his company how his company is actually run um, it always ends up at the end of the show with the boss returning to his headquarters He gets rid of his fake hair, his mustache, his beard, he shaves and he puts on his suit, his his silk ties and then he sits and talks with the people that that he had had been working with. Um, He always makes sure that he puts on his Rolex watch first. You know I use this story because ultimately when you think about it Jesus was the ultimate CEO. He was the chief everlasting one, the CEO and in many ways he had disguised himself And humbled himself and came to be among us. In Isaiah 52 it was prophesied that the Messiah would grow up just like all the other Jewish boys, that he wouldn't be impressive in stature stature or majesty. There was nothing special about him that we would desire him. So why did he go? Well the number two reason is that he was going to be exalted. The ascension was coronation day. For Jesus. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then number three, he was going to heaven to sit. Actually, the King James says that he sitteth on the throne. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension, Peter said Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. Preaching on the day of Pentecost, Peter saw Jesus' exaltation as a fulfillment of Psalm 101, which says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. You know, when we speak of the right hand, uh, the Bible speaks of of a high honor. It's a a special place of honor. It's a throne that Jesus is sitting on, the actual throne of God. You know, both the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed have the same word that describes this very thing. It says, on the third day he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, most of the apostles never saw Jesus glorified. However, there was a time when Peter, James, and John went up onto a mountain and Jesus was transfigured before him. This is how it's described. It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain. When they were all alone, he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before him Elijah and Moses. Uh, So the answer to why did Jesus ascend includes that his mission had been accomplished here on Earth, so that he went back to heaven and also that he is now exalted. He's sitting on the throne just as a king sits on a throne. But there's one more reason that I want to share with you on why Jesus ascended. And this will be reason number four. And it has to do with something that Jesus said and is recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus said these words, he said, For the Son of Man also came not to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, Jesus paid the price. To release people from captivity of sin and to purchase them with his own blood as his own. Uh, The many that Jesus came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many include people like like you and me. It, It included all the apostles and disciples and all the people of the world that have ever received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They are forever his and when they die their spirit goes immediately to be with Jesus. But you know, there's there's another group, Uh, there's another group that's included in this many that Jesus gave his life as a ransom, and that includes all the faithful descendants of Abraham, the patriarchs, the prophets, the Jews that had died in faith and were now at that time in the bosom of Abraham. You remember the story? Jesus told the story of the rich man and the beggar named Lazarus. Both of them died, and Lazarus was at the bosom of Abraham, while the rich man was in eternal torment. There was a huge separation, the Bible says, between them, so that you could not cross from one side to the other. But it says that Lazarus was at peace, and was being comforted, but he had not yet arrived. The Bible says that Jesus also called this place of comfort, the bosom of Abraham, he called it paradise, remember? To the thief on the cross, he said, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, both Jesus and the thief on the cross, that died that day. But neither went to the presence of the Father in heaven. The The souls of both Jesus and the thief on the cross entered into the place of comfort. They went to Abraham's bosom. However, the ascension changed everything. And that's reason number four. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he emptied completely emptied Abraham's bosom, and led the Old Testament saints to their heavenly home. Ephesians 4 verses 8 through 10 speak of this event. It says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, and he led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, but what does it mean, but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descends is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, That he might fill all things. In leading these Old Testament Saints to the presence of God, to glory, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of of Psalm 68. You have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive. Uh, Jesus paid the price to release people from the captivity of sin and to purchase them as his own slaves to righteousness. That's how it says he led captivity captive. Uh, The the author of the book of Hebrews mentions this as well in quoting a number of psalms that were actually prophecies of Jesus going down into what the Bible refers to as Abraham's bosom and the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed refer to as hell and declaring to them that he had paid the price, that they were set free. He says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praises to you. And then again in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Here am I and the children that God has given me. So our final question for this section is, question number three, When is he coming back? You know, in order to answer this question, we'll need to go back and reread a portion of the scripture. Verse 9 says, After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So the angels say, Why are you gazing up into heaven? The two men, apparently angels, said two important things. First of all, it was a kind, kind of a gentle rebuke. Uh, that they needed to to get going. Uh, They were to return to Jerusalem. You know, it's understandable that they would be gazing upward. You've done that ourselves. I mean, here in Florida, we'll see a, a launch of a spacecraft. And we'll look up in the sky until the spacecraft departs from our sight. But also they said something that was equally as important. They said, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have been seeing him going into heaven. So the answer to the when is tied to when do we see Jesus returning in the clouds? Back to Jerusalem and actually to the Mount of Olives. You know, when Jesus returns in glory with all of the host of heaven, he doesn't return to New York or London or Orlando or or Mecca. He He returns to the exact place from where he ascended, the Mount of Olives. It is named for the olive groves that once covered its slopes. Interestingly, the Mount of Olives has been used as a Jewish cemetery for over 3,000 years and holds approximately 150,000 graves. Uh, The Old Testament prophets told us that He, the Messiah, the Chosen One, would return right there long before He ever appeared there. Zechariah chapter 14 says that His, and that's Yahweh's, feet shall stand on that day on that Mount of Olives that faces the east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west and a very great valley shall push half of the mountain toward the north and half towards the south." That's amazing, isn't it? Jesus returns the Mount of Olives actually splits in two from east to west making a, a large valley. It is well known that a geological fault runs through the Mount of Olives and just south of the Temple Mount. However, I don't really care about geological faults. Jesus said if you have faith as a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, be moved and it will be moved. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 3 says, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the City of Truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the Holy Mountain. So we've gone through... Why did Jesus leave? Where did he go? And when is he coming? But here's what I want you to remember. He left physically and will come back in the same way. He left visibly and will so come in the same way. He left from the Mount of Olives and will so come back in exactly the same way. He left in the presence of his disciples and will so come in the same way. So If you're looking to when this is what we know Jesus told us no one knows the day or the hour we're told however that there will be signs one of the major signs is the regathering of Israel Israel became a nation after nearly 2,000 years in 1948 in a day just as it had been prophesied Jesus said that when these things begin to take place stand up lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near We know that a period of trial, of tribulation, a period of seven years will come prior to Jesus returning to the Mount of Olives. So we know that this event is at least seven years in the future. However, before that time of trial, there's a time when Jesus appears in the air for the church. This time is close. Many of the things that happened during the tribulation, including the technology, that technology we already have today, the growing hostility towards Israel, we see it every day. The alignment of nations, all of these point to the fact that the time is at hand. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are ready to be released. 1 Thessalonians 4:16 and 17 says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is when Jesus returns for the church, and it can happen at any time. So we need to be ready. This event happens before the tribulation, at any moment. So let's go on to the next section, which is the section uh, on, that the Bible talks about uh, Matthias being chosen to replace Judas. So let me read to you Acts 1 beginning in verse 15. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about hundred and twenty and said, Brothers and sisters, it is necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold that about Judas, Who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. I want you to notice two things. Number one is that Peter stood up and took a a natural role of leadership. You know, Peter was in the inner circle along with James and John and was often the spokesperson for the Apostles. Secondly, this group of 12 had grown now to 120. The group likely included some of the 70 that had been sent out two by two as well as some of the women that were the first to be at the tomb uh, and witness that Jesus had risen from the dead. So Peter continues, verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one becomes a witness with us of his resurrection. You know, one of the greatest mysteries confronting us regard to the work of the early church regards this very thing, the selection of Matthias as a replacement for Judas, who betrayed Christ. Was this an appropriate action on the part of the early church or was Peter acting presumptuously? Let me summarize the rest of the passage of the book, this this book of Acts. Uh, Peter declares that they need to pick someone that was with them from the very beginning and then they selected two. Joseph and Matthias. They prayed and then they drew lots. Kind of like drawing straws, leaving it up somewhat up to chance and assuming that the chance is actually being determined by God. And then they selected Matthias. While I have an opinion on this matter, it's, it's just an opinion. I'm not dogmatic regarding this passage. Two possibilities, however, are commonly offered. The first is just read what it says and surmise that Peter is following God's design. That's easy to do. Peter has a couple of scriptures to back up what he says, and the selection comes down to chance, throw, similar to throwing dice. People in the Old Testament always used lots or small pieces of pizza, um, small bits of wood or stones that were used in making decisions. The other possibility however is that Peter was presumptuous. Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem for something that was very important and that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. An event that we'll discuss in detail and has everything uh, about changing these these faithful men into, into prophetic voices for God. And this is exactly why the church became unstoppable. It was because of the power of the Holy Spirit and they were told to wait. Wait until the Holy Spirit had come. Uh, let me give you my thought, my, my humble opinion, and then we'll close with a lesson, a lesson learned. I think that Messiah, Matthias, who was selected, was a, a, a good choice. Not necessarily God's choice, but a, a good choice. He was a faithful and devoted follower of Jesus Christ who dedicated his life and in fact most likely was martyred for his faith. While Matthias was never mentioned again in the Bible, tradition says that Matthias evangelized Ethiopia. Another tradition says that he came back to Judea and was later martyred. Um, But I think that Peter was presumptuous and that Jesus had actually selected Paul to be the apostle for the Gentiles. Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anyone with the exception of Luke. Note Peter said that it was important to fulfill prophecy but realize that's really not our job. I remember a few years ago I was I was serving in a very large church and by the time I had gotten there they had they had purchased a a piece of property next to the church. a, A piece of property that they were hoping to expand someday on. And there was a prophecy in the church that they would build on this this hill that was next to their property, and that they would be able to gather all the people in the area to them because of a a light on the hill. But here's the thing, when we, when the time got close and we began to take a look at the property, began to to draw the plans, we we discovered something, and that was that this was no hill at all, it was just a, a pile of dirt. In fact, much of the hill was from the foundation of the church that we were in, as well as some surrounding foundations. So, it wasn't possible to build on this hill. People were upset uh, with the decision not to build. However, what we decided was that man is never responsible to fulfill prophecy. A true prophecy by God will be fulfilled by God and it doesn't need our help. Peter should have waited until he was filled with the Holy Spirit, if in fact there there was a need for a replacement of Judas and the Holy Spirit could have helped them with that decision. Now, there is a lesson, however, from this, this piece of scripture. There's a verse in the Bible that we quote often, usually at the wrong time. And that scripture is Romans 8:28. It says, and we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good for those that love him. Those who have been called according to his purpose. In this life, we make all kinds of decisions, often if you're like me, we make poor decisions or premature, premature decisions or just stupid decisions. At the same time, if we pray, if we submit ourselves to God, we know that in all things, God works for the good. God will work for the good, not for the bad. God can work with it. His perfect will will ultimately be accomplished. We see this all through the Bible. Noah got drunk in the vineyard. Jonah ran from God. Abraham told Abimelech that his wife Sarah is actually his sister. She's my sister. Then Abimelech, the king of Jared, went for Sarah and took her. It was a bad decision. Abraham lied. Later, God went to Abimelech, who never slept with Sarah, by the way. You're a dead man. Abraham's wife Sarah took Hagar, the Egyptian, and gave Hagar to Abram so that Abram would be able to sleep with her and have a child. Bad decision. Moses went up to Mount Sinai to talk with God, and Aaron, the high priest, Fashioned a golden calf. We can go on. Samson violated all the vows of a Nazarite. David slept with Bathsheba. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I can't even imagine. But this is why Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. It's a model prayer. In the prayer we're told to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Here on earth we can easily get things wrong. God, however, can work with it. The prayer is to align our thinking, our decisions, and our actions with God's purpose and His plan for us. But remember, God can work all things together for good. For those that love God. Those that are called according to His purpose. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get together like this. We give you the... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.